and welcome to the Business Success Show, and you are in for a treat. Stay tuned in. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. And on this podcast, what we really want to establish is this. How do hardworking entrepreneurs build profitable and scalable businesses whilst having the freedom and balance to do the other things they love, like family, vacations, sports, fun, adventures, and charity? So let's tune into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business Success Show. Mac Atram here with Andy Petek. And Andy is going to, he's all the way from Denver, Colorado, and the founder or co-founder of Founderist. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Andy before I bring him up. Hey, by the way, welcome, Andy. Welcome to the Business Success Show. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. You are most welcome. And Andy Petek is, a, is an entrepreneur and investor based in Denver, as I said. Over the past 10 years, Andy has launched more than 20 companies as a consultant, a co-founder, or an investor. And he has developed more than 100 products from what he says, farm to table, and also from idea to commerce. In other words, idea to money. His career is dedicated to serving entrepreneurs just like us and business owners just like us. And so welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Andy, Andy, tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial background. How did you get into entrepreneurship? What led to that? And um, yeah, go ahead. Sure. So I was very fortunate to grow up with two parents in the advertising industry. And as a little kid, I got to go to a lot of photo shoots and my parents were producing TV commercials and print shops and graphic design. So fortunately, I got to use all of the precursors of the Adobe softwares, and oh, I learned photography and graphic design as a as a young child. I'm in my 30s, but you know, there it was child of the 90s. Anyhow, right. uh, I went to college for the same communications and media arts, and after school, I ended up getting recruited into a management program with a huge wine company. Uh, based in California. They own over 100 brands of wine. They're the largest in the world. And they sent me to the Pacific Northwest. And I worked in Seattle for several years uh, in wholesale distribution of beverage products. And so everything from high-end wines, I sold Opus One all the way down to Rockstar Energy Drink. So okay. I had waters and teas and kombuchas and beers and all the things working for this $13 billion company. And after a few years, I decided I wanted to go out on my own and start a brewery. So I quit and uh, opened a brewery in Woodinville, Washington, north of Seattle. And in order to subsidize that startup, I was brokering for other wineries. I was doing label and package design on the side. I was working at a wine magazine publishing company. I was putting on events. So really all around the industry. But the big picture is... I was super, super hustling with my network of connections in order to be able to subsidize my own little tiny thing. And so I would roll into other states and have a suite of 10 or 20 products from other companies who were paying for my flight to get there. So my product could be Trojan horsed in with them. Oh, wow. So I went from working for a company of, you know, 10,000 employees across the country to a company of two dudes in a garage. <laughs> and 
that grew to several thousand stores in multiple states. And what I ended up loving out of that process was the marketing part. So it ended up spawning a marketing agency where we did, we still do product development for food and beverage products primarily. So people come to me and say, it's my, you know, there's a lot of wealthy attorneys or people who make money in tech who've always wanted to have a vanity winery or whatever, right. or uh, people who are at a farmer's market in in Colorado and they want to manufacture their product and sell it nationally in Whole Foods, that kind of thing. I've worked with people on six continents and some very so, odd products. So let me and, ask you uh, this. Let me ask you this. So did you say two guys working from a garage to expand into over a thousand outlets around the US? Is that what you said? Yeah, a couple thousand. Well, a couple of thousand. And what happened to that business? Did you sell it? Do you still own it? Well, actually, I uh, ended up in a very freak lawsuit with that particular business that ended up having its dissolution. But the cider industry, we were making hard cider, cider. and it kind of plateaued. So we ended up divesting most of it and selling the assets off in right. that business, which spawned into making stuff in other categories. Now we make tea and other stuff. Oh, I see. And then, as you said, you um, it led you to uh, open up a, a marketing agency and, and working with business owners to help them to market their services. Is that right? Yeah, it kind of doubles as sort of a venture capital firm because I end up taking equity in a lot of the businesses. I've helped co-found a lot of the things, as you mentioned. Yeah. So now I... I do labels and websites and branding for uh, product businesses, but I still have a uh, investing portfolio in several different kinds of brands too. And that has expanded over the years into uh, apparel, sporting goods. I owned a cycling team for a long time and invested in a mountain bike company. I've worked with a cosmetics brand that was bringing things in from Italy. So really now we've expanded to product development and brand development because so many people are gravitating toward e-commerce. I have people who want to manufacture yoga pants in in Europe or in Asia and import them or make things domestically for clothing brands or outdoor gear. So my passion and bread and butter is still in in the consumable consumer goods, like the ones right. you can eat. <laughs> yeah. But we do all of it. And so the the evolution to what I'm doing now is during the pandemic, I had so many mom and pop food clients that oh, okay. we were working with in Colorado. We support a lot of the farmer's market community, the early stage development community. And unfortunately, I was getting handwritten notes about why people couldn't pay their bills. And, oh, wow. you know, federally in the United States, we had some subsidies for small businesses, but it came kind of late. It was pretty difficult. And you can imagine we're headquartered in Colorado. So if your business is based in farmers markets, they only run from like May until September anyway. It snows here. So anyway, I decided to take an entire pivot and I launched a podcasting network and we produce about 30 podcasts in two years. We did 1500 episodes. We did about 200,000 hours of streaming and we supported all the positive vibe stuff. So mental health people, oh. yogis, nutritionists, family, therapists. And I kind of did this social venture project where we we reinvested all of the money into the community. And I committed to two years of doing that. And during that time, 
one of our podcasters became a partner of mine and we launched a few services booking people on podcasts and tv she's a former tv producer and in her day job she's actually a love matchmaker she connects singles and does high-end matchmaking for uh people throughout the u.s right and so for a long time we've logically kind of had this idea of what if we did business matchmaking i'm kind of an introvert she's super extroverted everybody hates doing networking going to in-person events because oftentimes you don't find the right people it's hard to reach out to folks on linkedin and hope that they become a co-founder of your business someday right, right so we work with people in geography values growth stage and you could say i want to meet someone in london who owns restaurants who might want to have a board member and we're headhunting around the globe for people doing business matchmaking. So I still run my marketing agency. I work around the West Coast of the US. I help people launch consumer brands. Right. But I've kind of been in this broadcast and networking space for the past few years. And now it's really fun because I can double over into connecting people and investing back with breweries, et cetera. Tell me something. The um you've done a lot. Over the last 10 years or so, um, started businesses, co-founded business, invested in businesses. And you, you seem to be somewhat of a disruptor. You know, you see some things that actually we can do it better than this. I mean, this is missing in the marketplace. Let's make it happen. Business matchmaking, you know, creating this side of brand, all this kind of stuff. What is it? What is because I'm hearing that more and more disrupting the market or becoming a disruptor for our audience. Explain to us, if you can, what does that actually mean? Yeah, it'd be good to know. It's funny because I'm kind of out on a press tour right now promoting our, our new marketing business or our you know networking business, but I actually wrote a book about this. All right. And by the time this publishes, uh, it might be out. So I'll be sure I send you the links and you guys can all check the show notes because if it's not out by the time this episode is out, it will be. But... I wrote a book about how to come up with ideas and vet ideas against against market trends. Mm. And so when you, for example, a company like Uber or Lyft we have in the US does this ride sharing thing. But when you talk about it, it's really not just a taxi cab service. It is using independent contractors through a licensing and vetting system where they're driving their own cars, you're managing the liability, you're managing the scheduling, but it's as much a software as it is a, a delivery service, right? right? Right. And so other companies have come around and done the same thing. There's companies like Rover where you can, in, it's also in the US, where you can hire people to walk your dog, but okay. it's the software is the same model, right? Right. And so I have this kind of three pillar system based on innovating new products that don't currently exist in a market, replicating products that you see that are market leaders. If you could take 1% out of something that is an industry leader in your city, in your space, you would be doing great. And right. then dominating is rolling into a space with a lot of resources. I work in the beverage industry. Every time a new kombucha comes out, Budweiser or Miller Coors or Heineken Corporation or Diageo in the UK, comes around and you know plows it away with money so there's there's a lot of different elements and you can be a big fish in a small pond too the dominate method can be at any scale but disrupting really is is kind of a, a risk and for me a lot of it i do a lot of community work in mental health 
And one of the things that I've learned is I've fallen on my face a thousand times and it's come at the risk of I've been willing to go all or nothing, double down over and over. And wow. I've been in lawsuits. I've been married and divorced. I've had a bankruptcy. I mean, I've I've been in every kind of legal copyrights and patents. And it's really just being willing to pick yourself back up. And I was actually listening to a podcast yesterday with your compatriot, Sir Lewis Hamilton. Oh, yeah. He uh, he just appeared on his first ever podcast this week with Jay Shetty, Jay Shetty. on yeah. purpose. Yeah. And I know Lewis is starting to do a lot more media because he's uh, maybe going to retire in the next five years and he wants to do a lot more public work. He obviously does a lot of charity, yeah. but he's becoming a pretty big presence in the U.S. And he always has been globally as a fashion icon and a philanthropist and all the things. But he talks a lot about the the mindset of a champion and he has a master class out now. And one of the things that I've always had trouble with is is the public confidence. I always say I would rather speak in front of a TED talk of 2000 people than walk into a bar where I don't know anyone. Right. And I call myself an introvert and people that know me are always like, oh, you're so animated and you have all these stories. And it's like, if I already know you, or if you and I are speaking on a podcast, I'm great, but I'm going to walk outside of this building after this. And if I'm in a meeting or I have a purpose, I'm great. If I go to an event, I want to be like the name tag guy or the photographer. I don't want to be a mingler, you know, right, right, right. despite maybe if I'm presenting or whatever. Yeah. So my I'm thing has to... always been pick yourself up and dust yourself off because you have to have ultimate faith in the risks you're taking. Right. Uh, as calculated as they might be. But it's more about bouncing back than being a visionary disrupting, really, because you're going to have a lot of mistakes for every win. Mm. Got it. Let me ask you this question. We're talking about disrupting. And a question I have is, how does, you know, entrepreneurs listening, how do you become that big fish in that small pond? In other words, how do we become the main person or the main company in that niche, that market niche or niche, as, as we say? Yeah, I love, uh, there's a podcaster that I really like, Pat Flynn, and he mispronounces it so he can make a jingle. He says the riches are in the niches. Yeah. I've, I've always loved that. <laughs> One of the ways to, it's all about framing. So if you start a brand that uh, makes t-shirts and no, let's, let's just do the beverage thing. If you're going to make a uh, hard seltzer or a kombucha or some kind of beverage, a lot of non-alcoholic products are really popular right now, even globally. Right. And so if you're going to make a kombucha and you started in a garage with one of your pals, you are dreaming one day of getting into Whole Foods or some kind of natural market or going into national distribution or international distribution. Mm. And Whole Foods is a mega player in the US now because they're owned by Amazon. They have a lot of distribution bandwidth. But mm. if you're in a small city in Idaho and you're making, or let's say, let's say Canada, let's say Calgary or something. Right. I need to get more international. You have an international Cal audience. Calgary's good. If you're making if you're making kombucha in Calgary, uh, -huh. uh stretching across the provinces is a tall order. There's a lot of geography to cover. It's expensive to ship, it's expensive to store, there's weather. Yeah. And yeah. so if you looked at that and you turned around and said, I want to be a big fish in a small pond, what if you made kegs of your kombucha and you got them on tap in all of the WeWork offices? And you did a home delivery program and you sponsored local events. 
you could become a huge, huge market share leader only in Calgary. I know breweries that sell 30,000 barrels, which is a national size brewery, but they only exist in Colorado, but they've got a handle on it. Every single bar in Colorado. It's like it's Budweiser, Coors, Heineken, Stella, them. And it's the way of just looking at, could you be the t-shirt company of the music industry? Or could you work with uh, specifically college students? It's all about framing who the consumer is, whether it's a geography or a consumer group, and being that household name and having an 80% market share of them versus a 1% market share of some national landscape. So what would you say in your experience there, Andy, that what are maybe two or three key benefits of becoming that big fish in that small pond? Yeah. So I have a client in Seattle. I'm actually in Seattle right now. And they did a similar thing. They make a yerba mate tea. They import these loose leaf teas from Brazil and they brew this really cool packaged beverage. And the traditional three-tier distribution system of going into a wholesaler or through a broker and then having restaurants and grocery stores carry your product just doesn't work for a product that is low margin alcohol products you can charge more but that kind of product is difficult so similar to what i mentioned they got in with a a specialty distributor that goes only to coffee shops because coffee shops and cafes don't get deliveries from those big wholesalers because their orders aren't big enough and so they got with this guy that between vancouver bc and portland oregon goes up and down the I-5 corridor and delivers to like 1,200 coffee shops. And all these other companies want to be in the big tier grocery chain. They aren't thinking about the little moms and pops. Uh But if you get into a lot of little moms and pops, now we're talking. They got into a distributor that goes specifically to corporate campuses. So Mm -hmm. there's a big culture here. There's a Facebook, a Google, Microsoft, these large campuses that have, you know, 5,000 plus employees where they have a cafeteria where everything is complimentary. Wow. So the, the employees are just plowing through free muffins and whoever's bringing those muffins is getting a sweet deal because as a whole, that's very cheap for Facebook to offer to their people. Right, but if you right, can be right. the guy that's in the cafeteria with your snack bars, you're set up. So these guys disrupted by, and they got into rock climbing gyms and yoga places and they went everywhere, but your supermarket. And so they are a household name. And so now they recently started putting on these yoga events at Gasworks Park in downtown Seattle, and they get a thousand people doing yoga and they have drone shots flying over with, but they become such a cultural brand that people drink this tea. And now they're in supermarkets with a force because everyone is knocking on the door at the market saying, why don't you carry this thing? Everyone in Seattle knows about it. Why don't you? So no, you kind of take good, the long know? way, the long way around to the traditional method, but now they're a powerhouse. That's fantastic what you're saying there, because it's very counterintuitive in terms of I've got this product. Traditionally, supermarkets, convenience stores is where, but you're saying actually, hey, look, that's saturated. There's some big players there, but thinking differently out of the box, disrupting it slightly means that you can still win. But it's it's you're, you're supplying to specialist um, organizations, specialist outlets. Fantastic. Now I've made products for airlines. I've made products for sports stadiums. I mean, you just have to hotels. You know those little mini bars. What if you yeah. could be the bottled water in the mini bar? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 
So for some people listening in, thinking it sounds good, you know, Andy's sharing how it can disrupt the market. And he's also sharing how important it is and the benefits of becoming a, a, a big fish in the small pond. How do I do that? How does, how, what are some steps I can take now to say, I'll tell you why I'm asking this question, Andy. There are people who say, oh, but Mac, I don't know what my niche is. How do I find my niche? How do I? So they they beaten themselves up. So I just wanted to get from you, your angle to say, okay, how do you become, what are the steps to establishing your niche or your niche? We know in that the riches are in the niches. Or it doesn't rhyme with, you know, doing it that way. The riches are in the niches. Riches and niches. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how does one... Be, you know, really choose their niche that's going to be profitable for them, uh, that they can pound on and just go for it. This is a toughie. And when I do coaching or speaking, this is always like the first question. Mm. And really, it comes down to you're going to have to make a deeper relationship with loyal customers in order to grow a brand like that. You have to have those first hundred people that will come back again and again and again and be your free sales force. Because if you're a small company, you're not going to be hiring salespeople if you're selling online, especially ads won't do it enough for you because mm -hmm. Facebook and Amazon are white labeling products and beating you at their own game, right? <laughs> or bigger companies yeah. are going to do that. So people think if I make a e-commerce product and I just buy ads, there's several ways to do that, but it comes down to having a loyal base that you begin with. And so most people in my industry, I'm sure in yours as well, would say, use yourself as the first customer avatar. You know yourself well. Mm -hmm. And if you make something that you want to consume, then you find other folks that are in the same boat as you. There's 8 billion people on the planet. And that's a good sentiment. I mean, it. I'm pretty weird. It might take a long time to find people like <laughs> me, right? But you think about like, there's a huge explosion of Right now, so let's also say, I say products, and I usually mean physical products, but a lot of people listening probably work in coaching or design or copywriting, some kind of service-based thing. So people also want to productize their knowledge in ebooks, courses, right. uh, consumable like membership websites, that kind of stuff. So there's uh, there's a really interesting guy I read a book a few years ago and I have no idea how I found it. His name is Steve Cam and he made this website called Geek Fitness and Nerd Fitness. That's it. And yeah. it was like, he's got, he's a video gamer. He's like a computer programmer, kind of a nerdy introvert guy. And he decided he still wanted to have a good body and physique and spending seated by gym. So he decided to learn how to do weightlifting and he developed a system of body weight exercises and made something that he made a fitness program for video gamers. Okay. And then he did this whole model where he gamified life. And so he made this thing where you can go on his website and you set up your little avatar, like you're playing a video game and you could be Mac, the level 80 wizard King or whatever. And you can name your own thing. You can design your own thing, but it's all like a video game. And then you make these goals for yourself of quests is what they call them. Like you're playing okay. a video game. Right. So my level one quest might be learning how to play an instrument. My level 10 quest might be summoning Mount Kilimanjaro and everybody makes their own goals, but right. then you have an accountability team of other people who have a similar interest set as you. 
And their goal might be losing a hundred pounds, but you don't even have to know that. And so if you're like, I'm a level 12 wizard, they're like, oh, he's accomplished 12 of his goals. So he's created this mm. whole huge ecosystem for setting goals, accountability and achieving success and coaching and healthy lifestyle. But it's framed in this way that is approachable to people who are typically basement dwellers or who hate All going right. to the gym and be feeling intimidated by other people. He figured a way to create a first fitness, then community, then coaching, then publishing thing out of harvesting folks that were just like him, because there's a lot of video gamers out there. Right. So right. that's one of my favorites that I really like. And it's a way to find the niche is to start with using yourself or people, you know, as the primary avatar, because you need to recruit that loyal tribe of folks that are going to be evangelists for you in the big picture. Awesome. That's a great answer there. Now, Andy, um, for those who want to reach out to you and learn more from you or catch up with you or just have a conversation, what's the best way for them to be able to do that? Yeah. So my business is actually called Daydreamer Ventures. Daydreamer is my moniker. So, and my book is called The Daydreamer Method. So on Instagram, my handle is andy.the.daydreamer. And my podcasting business is Daydreamer Network. Our current business is called Founderist. It's founderist.club. That's the domain and the social media handle. Right. And we have a live stream and we have a YouTube channel and a podcast and we talk to all kinds of disruptive entrepreneurs. So we just launched this really cool business networking system and it's allowed us to reach people around the globe uh, in all kinds of industries. So if you want to be a guest, if you want to suggest an industry that you'd like us to dive into, if you'd like to meet people, that's really the easiest way. If you like have a very specific dream of, I want to launch a line of mountain bikes, like reach out to me. <laughs> I can, I can help with that or colognes or, uh, rollerblades, like challenge me or my team can help. But, uh, the easiest way to engage with me and my business partner and our team and all of my businesses is check out founderist.club on Instagram or on, uh, www.founderist.club yeah so that's founderist so founder ist dot Correct. club fantastic got it amazing um and the 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 premise of founderist is that if someone has a great idea and they really want to launch it you are open to partnering with people or showing them how they can make that happen is that is that the premise well that's pretty much my interest in it but okay. the idea of founderist is is meeting people through having someone out in the market representing you. If you're looking for a co-founder, a board member, a mentor, okay. an investor, we connect you with people rather than me just giving you referrals. Yeah. I ask, what is an expander for you? So depending on what industry you're in, is it a trade association? Is it a convention organizer? Who can I introduce you to that could give you a hundred referrals? Right. Or it could end up being a partner of yours because the, the likelihood of you meeting an investor or a co-founder on Instagram or LinkedIn even is pretty low. Yeah. Nothing beats the hand-to-hand -hand, uh, intro. So yeah. I will go out and if you say I'm a non-technical co-founder and I want to make a dating app, I'll go find that person that is a likely match for you and cut through all the clutter and bring them back. And uh, for a small fee, I will, <laughs> I will make your dreams come true. Well, there you go. So do catch up with Andy if that's of interest to you. Founderist dot 
club and we will share this in the show notes as well you've been listening to the business success show with andy petek and the coach mac atram now remember to like remember to follow remember to subscribe if you're not already doing so and if you have any questions or any comments please put it in the chat box make some comments i want to know you are there you are listening you are getting some value out of this and if you have some suggestions of anyone else we should be interviewing on the business success show please come and share let us know mac atram here with andy pettick just checking out thank you andy thank you for being on the show appreciate you all right then thank you very much for listening thank you for watching and as always remember to subscribe remember to follow and we'll catch up very soon bye for now <laughs>